Yahoo. That always gets cut off too quick, but I'm not sure how to uh, throw that down slowly. Hopefully my guest tonight can uh, help me out because I know he's a, uh, a, a master of podcast, master of many things. But uh, we'll, get, we'll get to him in a second. Welcome. What's up, Buttercups? Welcome to the uh, Hit the Lotto podcast. You know me by now. I'm Romo. I am uh, your host, hopefully, and uh, we're getting more and more listeners. Sorry, just bringing somebody in there. More and more listeners uh, every week, which is awesome. And uh, hopefully this guy can can give us some legitimacy, our next guest. But uh, uh, the, the rant this week, I know every week I go on a rant and I get things started to before I welcome guys in. I just think it's easier to hit the ground running on things. And the rant actually has to do with, you know, in an indirect way with with our uh, my special guest tonight. But the rant is that, you know, COVID, like <clears throat> pandemics, I bought like this ridiculous podcasting equipment. <laughs> I like do stupid shit. I talked about my, I, I'm a snob for coffee now. And, and I'm a, you know, I was a snob for wine and all that shit that we, that I, I told you about in the first couple episodes. But one thing uh, that, that, irks me about e-commerce because you know e-commerce is easy oh thank god for e that's what i do for a living i'm in e-commerce thank god for e-commerce if you didn't have e-commerce in ireland where would you be in europe uk where would you be but today so uh, last week this is what social media is horrible and again you know it all ties in with each other doesn't it so social media you know when you search for stuff you know it comes up it pops up there you go so this this pair of sneakers, trainers, runners, whatever, different language you, you call them, uh, we're multilingual here. Uh, so this pair of sneakers popped up in my in my my feed, and I was, uh, those are fucking sweet shoes, man. Those are fucking sweet. And I think I want those. Those are a pair of sneakers that I would never fucking wear in a million years after the age of 30. But they are fucking cool as shit. These high top slip on Adidas things. Get my size, order them in. They come today and they don't fucking fit. Right? So shoes, man. You buy these fucking things online. The one time I go out of my way to not buy a fucking pair of sketchers because they're comfortable and easy and they're super soft to walk on. I decide to go out and these fucking things don't fit. I need a fucking shoehorn to put my foot in them. Like what the fuck that's i can't wait till this shit's over so i can go try on fucking shoes before i buy them that's the rant sorry i just had to had to get had to get it off my chest i'm joined this week as i was last week and i will be hopefully for every week by my co-host this evening the Roz. welcome on Roz. uh welcome to the show and, and i hope you're ready for a good one tonight Hey, buddy. Listen, I have been looking forward to this all week. I know you have a very interesting guest, and um, I can't wait to sit back and draw some of that in. I really can't. Um, I do want to just briefly want to comment, if I could, on um, how essential uh, you have mentioned e-commerce has become. And I just it's funny when we look back that <clears throat> we think, oh, my God, where would we be without it? I remember, remember when your mom gave you a dime and told you to call home if you need her and put you on your BMX and send you out. And now um, we're relying on e-commerce for everything, but sure enough, that's where we be. That's where we've gone. Haven't we with this COVID? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's definitely, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's just something that before COVID too, you know, and again, I, I do a lot of work. I make a lot of money off of some very big uh, global shopping uh, marketplaces. And, and I, barely shopped there (laughs) 
You know what I mean? I bet I would, I would like, let's go, I'll go out and get it somewhere. I'll go out and buy it somewhere. But now I'm like addicted to it. <laughs> now I'm yeah. like, I, I got it today. I got in today. I got in a, a box and it had, it was from a company called nutty delights. So at some <laughs> stage, yeah, yeah, exactly. So some stage I ordered gourmet nuts <laughs> and you know, dried fruits. Yeah, that's, that's kind of cool. Yeah. I, I'd suggest, you know, there's, is you know, it, like it was saying, well, it cool? <laughs> okay, Mill, I was trying to throw y'all like, I, I appreciate now. that. No, I appreciate it's that. No, it, 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 <laughs> cool, but, but is it cool or is it, is it that it's just, a, it's like a sickness, you know? It's a sickness, but look. Well, if, if it puts it in a, if it puts it in any perspective this week too, I actually purchased a twenty dollars beach hat, and it snowed about twelve inches here. So that just goes to show you how uh, random and um, what's the word Sp- spontaneous e-commerce can be too. I'm just thumbing through, and I came across the coolest beach hat. So, yeah. But in fairness, in fairness, we know how much you, you know. You you need to protect that dome of yours. You know what I mean? Like you, that dome is is that that dome will get hot. It'll burn quick. You know you got a, a beach hat. You no know, no matter what the weather is like, a beach hat for for you know for that dome of yours is going to be is pretty good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Let's just say it's got an extra wide brim. <laughs> <laughs> Well, look, we got plenty of time to, to get even more into stupid shit, uh, which is normally what we talk about here. But uh, we're going to get serious for, for once and hopefully in a fun way, though. And uh, so my our guest tonight is is actually it's actually kind of ironic because we uh, we've spoken. So so I, I probably probably met him uh, 2013 when I first started coaching American football and uh you know the we the, the team that I started coaching was uh, man. This is going to be a long intro, Gary. Sorry, but but it's actually kind of funny. I think you'll get a kick <laughs> out of it. Uh, you know the the team that I coached was 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 bad. Like we were we were not not very good. In fact, the first year I coached, we weren't even in the same the upper league, and it was it was just a really bad team. And and there were three teams at the time. I don't know. There might be more. I don't even know now. But uh, at the times in Dublin, and um, there was a team that used to be part of the team that I ended up coaching that I got into the very end of this thing. And that's another podcast for sure. When we should talk about this because I'm all over all of this stuff. I don't care. Everybody needs to know what happened, but uh, the, the big bad team, the, the best team in the country, in the country uh, at the time was where, where these guys, the rebels and the rebels were, they had a reputation, man. And, they still do have a reputation, you know. It's an amazing thing it, it, to to come and witness it as an American, as a coach, to you know hear all of these other teams and you either loved them or you hated them, but the haters really fucking hated. I really appreciated that. I could really appreciate that chip on the shoulder, right? And so, so there's always this like, you know. Uh, I didn't know anybody. I just moved here from another country. So who the fuck did I know? I was coaching a team that barely won, let alone scored a touchdown, you know, who ended up turning themselves around a little bit. And uh, this, we, we played up against the, the Rebels the first year. I remember it was just ridiculous. It was silly. It was ridiculous. But at that time, there was still chip on our shoulder. So anytime we saw each other across from each other, we kind of knew who each other were. Probably this guy was playing. I was coaching. There's probably some, ah, oh, that's the fucking Yanker. That's the fucking receiver that scores all the fucking touchdowns. Uh, you know, but, but we never talked to each other very much. And then we ended up 
uh, both being uh, lucky enough to get called into. Actually, I'll be honest, I begged for that fucking job to coach this uh, under eighteen team. It was Gary, right? Yeah, I think it was. It was orig- originally supposed to be under seventeens, but we didn't have enough guys, so they stretched it up to under eighteens. I think it was in the end. That's right. That's right. And we, it was, there was a a group, a team from Canada that was coming through, um, like a club team, pretty big. I mean, it was a big organization, well-run organization. So they were coming through. So we put it, there was a game put together. So it was an international game. So, you know, here I am an American, you know, coming over, moving, moving away from home, coming over to Dublin, you know, still at that time, I probably didn't even have a fucking job at that time. And, you know, (laughs) and I'm, I'm, you know, coaching, this team hell the the Roz, the uh the uh, what's the newspaper in the hamptons there uh the star or the uh, press no nah, the the press the yeah. press actually did an article on me what's the name of every <laughs> newspaper in every town the press yeah, right the press <laughs> the southampton press did an article on me Drew Bud, mm-hmm. their sports guy, we did an interview and did an article. That's how that's how it was kind of big back there too, which was I remember. Ironic, no, right? I remember coming across yeah. that. Absolutely, it was very so, exciting. So we coached with each other, and Gary coached on the offense. I coached on the defense, and they were we were very separated even then. Everything was very segmented, and you, you didn't really get a chance to to even talk to each other very much. And the, I, I mean, he, he, the leadership wasn't the, the the top leadership was was good, but it wasn't. It probably wasn't the best for that situation, maybe a little too volatile, whatever. But we never talked to each other. And then I ran into him one day at a pharmacy. I don't know if you remember this, but we ran into each other one day at a pharmacy. We had a chat. We had a good conversation. We talked football. You were leaving at the time. And then he went to America. And now is in now is in outside in Boston. But he went to America. And we've talked to each other more since <laughs> to each other more since you left and went to to Boston than we ever did when you were actually we saw each other face to face. So it's actually ironic when you, when I asked him because he's probably uh, when I when I look at the, my list of social media friends and extended friends or whatever he's probably one of the smartest guys I know, uh, and he always has smart things to say. And social media was I always, it always clicked with me. Everything that you kind of said always seemed to click with me. So. Uh, uh, you know, I was like, you know, when I started doing a podcast, I'm like, I want to, I want to, uh, I want to do, uh, you know, this podcast thing. And I want to, I want to talk to people. I want to talk to interesting people and cool people. And I asked him to, 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 if he would come on and without even blinking, he was like, yeah, man, I'll do it. Let's uh, sounds like fun. So I appreciate it. But, uh, Gary Somerville is with us right now in the studio. Homeboy works for the Dana Farber Cancer Research Institute. I mean, the guy is what he says he is. He's he's he is what's written on the tin, as they say. Uh, he's an awesome dude, and, and I asked him to, you to come on to uh, just talk to us about about some COVID questions, some vaccine questions, and he didn't hesitate. So, thanks, man. I really really appreciate you coming on. Jesus. There's no pressure here. I really have to deliver after an intro like that. Yeah, just a brief introduction. Yeah, yeah I, had to, I was expecting I had to a few seconds, out. you know? I got halfway yeah. through a martini on that one waiting for you to I come know. on here. I know. I had to get it out, man. I just had to keep going. You know, I, <laughs> look, you hit the lotto. You got to keep going. Amen. Uh, that's it. Well, like I said to you, I never need an excuse to talk about science. So when anybody asks me to come on a podcast or have a chat with them about Whatever scientific questions they may have, uh, you know, like I said, never a problem for me. So thanks very much for having me on. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, delighted to meet you. Yeah. No, and by the fantastic. way, it's it's yeah. so funny to hear an American say 
the word yiz, which is very uh, very distinct to the Dublin dialect. Just hearing a, hearing someone with an American accent say yiz, that, that it, made me laugh. Believe it or not, if you go to where John comes from in those small towns outside of Pennsylvania, outside of Philadelphia and Pennsylvania, and they use that yiz and yiz too. So it's kind of funny. It's, it's really, he really didn't pick it up there. It's something he may have brought with him, but sort of uh, – <laughs> Modified a little bit to, yeah. to fit it. Oh yeah, yeah. That's use use is a thing. And listen, New York to use guys use yes. I get it. So if you're real <laughs> Dublin, you say you is. It's almost like two syllables. It has to be you is. As jo- as Ramo will know. You gotta say you was Jesus. I, I mean, look, here we go. We're just going off on t- wild tangents already. I always the wheels come off the show quickly, but <laughs> I, I mean, like in America, it's crazy because you know there are, there are different accents, and there are you know it's very kind of areas are, are different. And you know, I mean, you really notice that though in America, in a huge country where you know down south they talk a bit differently from folks in New York, and you know, for, and that's really different from out the west coast. But in Dublin alone. <laughs> In Dublin alone, <laughs> depending on what what literally what postal code you're from, your accent is different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can believe that. You see, you see it a little bit too. People cross the bridge or the Jersey accent as opposed to the Brooklyn accent as opposed to. You know, it's amazing. I know what you mean. Yeah, it's probably very true there too. <laughs> well, look, Gary, I, um, I, I'm taking you from your work, and so I super appreciate it. It's already running super late, but um, if you don't mind, just let's hop right into it a little bit. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, the first couple, I just maybe, you know, have some questions, but also just throwing a word at you, you know, a word that like, like, for instance, like speed, like I'll throw the word speed at you. Obviously, that's a word that's kind of controversial about, you know, the development of vaccines for, for COVID and what went on here. And, you know, so so like... What do you have to say about, you know, sort of people that talk about the speed in which the vaccine came out, whether positive or negative? Like, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so people have every right to be, you know, to have questions and concerns about how fast this came, came out. But in reality, uh, you know, the two main vaccines that have already been approved by the FDA and given emergency use authorization, so Moderna, which is a company from here in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and then Pfizer, uh, BioNTech, which is a collaboration with a German company. The technology they're working on, which is called messenger RNA, that's been around a long time. Like, you know, I've been in molecular biology, what, 12 to 15 years, and I've always worked with messenger RNA. So it's not like this new molecule they plucked out of their arses and were like, yeah, we're going to turn this into a vaccine. So a lot is already known about it and a lot of the groundwork has already been done. And in the case of Moderna, like all they do is messenger RNA. Um, like since I moved here in 2014, they've always been on my radar as a company that's doing cool shit. Uh, they have the potential to do something amazing with the technology they have. So, you know, even when COVID hit uh, properly in the US at the start of March, uh, I've never it's pretty relevant now, which happened to Robin Hood a couple of days ago, but I've never really been one to dabble in the stock market. But this time I'm like, you know what? I'm going to use my scientific knowledge here. I'm going to throw a couple of dollars on Moderna because I believed what their technology could do. And they did deliver. It was just a case of the right uh, the right suspect to come along at the right time. And SARS-CoV-2 pretty much represents that. Like what their technology is, it's actually quite easy. Um, all they're doing is providing people with 
the genetic code for you may have heard of the spike protein so how this virus latches onto our cells is it's like it has this spike so you may have seen the pictures and the reason it's called coronavirus corona is actually latin for crown so it has this type of crown structure on it so it latches on like something docking with the international space station it gets into our cells using this spike so all these vaccines are doing is it's giving our cells the ability to recognize uh, this spike protein so the genetic code goes in our body actually produces the spike protein because it's it's reading this code and our immune system recognizes that and it's like hang on a fucking second here this isn't supposed to be here so it'll it'll alert the immune system to start ramping up the antibodies so if you are to encounter that particular virus further down the line your antibodies are ready to go your immune system is trained to look for it um so if it sees that spike protein um in the future it's going to recognize it and it's going to kill it so you know because a lot of the donkey work was done it was a relatively quick process all they had to do was get the code uh figure out what they were going to package this vaccine into it's like a little bubble of fat that's pretty much how it works and then um work on the safety and efficacy and they, they hit a slam dunk so the encouraging thing for me personally is the fact that both companies were able to almost get identical efficacy using the same technology. So reproducibility in science is a big thing. If someone gives me a protocol, I've never done it before. I should be able to go off and do exactly what that scientist did. That's how science works. So the fact that both of these companies were able to get pretty much 95% efficacy with this uh, vaccine, that speaks volumes to how you know on the money they were. Um, that two companies were able to get this. I find that I find that very interesting in, in more than one way. First of all, it's, I, efficacy is a word that I never had ever used before COVID. So yeah. new, word, new, new word for my vocabulary for sure. But secondly, <laughs> on, a seri- on a serious note, I, and I could be really wrong about this, but from what I understand and what you make, maybe you can uh, elaborate a little more on is this. A lot of times when they make vaccines, they take um, – samples from dead virus and so on and so forth this is a synthesized thing isn't it correct yeah there's no actual live virus in the uh, messenger rna based vaccines so this is really so this is really where the science is the amazing part about the science and this is new technology this rna technology and such that you're using is this uh synthesis of 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 the virus And, and um maybe you could explain a little bit about that yeah that's correct so before COVID-19 came along, Moderna were actually working on a lot of these technologies already. They were they were starting to push some therapies through the pipeline for uh, stuff like cancer, which I'm involved in, and one or two other diseases. And it was just, it just happens that SARS-CoV-2 came along and they're like, well, this is actually, as as science goes, it was probably easier for them to, to get involved with this because, yeah, you don't have any live virus. You, you're pretty much stripping down the virus bear. All you have left is the genetic code for the spike protein. So pretty much everything else in the virus's repertoire is removed. So when people worry about, oh, is this gonna, um, is the vaccine gonna give me the maybe grow uh, a tail or something? Right? <laughs> well, I've been vaccinated with both from Pfizer, and I haven't grown a third testicle, uh, haven't grown a tail. <laughs> my my eyes and my ears are all in the same spot, so that's good. But um, you haven't yeah, gotten the, you haven't picked up the Boston accent either, so that's a good thing. Also, <laughs> no, no, no. Um, but I am a Giants fan living in Boston, so I already have problems living here. So yeah. picking up you go, the Boston you go accent, right, you go right ahead, you go right ahead. <laughs> you get the right idea. So yeah, 
like I said, it's the bare bones have been it's been stripped down to the bare bones. It's just the genetic code for this spike, um, which is new technology. The immune system recognizes it and away it goes. Um, so, yeah, definitely new in regards to actually getting it into a vaccine, but certainly not new in regards to the research and development that's already gone on. This is Moderna's bread and butter. They've been doing this for a long time and uh, they just needed that. They just needed the right kind of storm to come along and uh, a candidate like this virus to present itself for it to really flex its muscle. Yeah, they um, sort of had that. They sort of had that scientific supply, and they were waiting for that demand. And it is unfortunate, but thank goodness, um, this kind of research has been done. Also, a question, if I may, and I don't want to lead you, go you know, off in different directions, but uh, you say you're in cancer research, and I don't understand where the two bridge the gap between how this technology, being a virus, is applicable in cancer research or treatment. And where does this, where's, where's the common denominator between all this stuff? Great question. There's, um, there's a few other companies here, um, in the Cambridge, Boston area. And what they're working on is vaccines for cancer patients. So what they do is they will take a sample of a cancer patient's tumor. They will unlock the whole genetic code. So what I do here at Dana-Farber is we do genetic sequencing. So in many cases, the samples we get are cancer patients and we're pretty much sequencing their entire genetic makeup. And then they're able to get more personalized treatment based off their individual genetics because 20, 30 years ago, you could have 20 people with the same cancer. You may treat them with the exact same regime and expect the same response. And now we know that's not the case because we're all so different, even though we're 99.9% the same we're still, there's still those subtle differences at the genetic level. So we got to get more personalized. And a lot of companies here now, pharma companies are focusing on that in, in regards to oncology. So what they're trying to do is sequence the cancer patient's DNA or RNA, and then they're developing vaccines to train that person's immune system against particular characteristics that their cancer might have. So, so instead so of it being a spike protein, it's some other target that they're, very specific cancer has that they're training their immune system to recognize it and kick the shit out of it essentially. Got it. So it's not, it's, so I see, I understand exactly what you're saying somehow. Um, <laughs> Hopefully I've explained it. Yeah, no, well. no, very well. Absolutely. Um, but it is still reactive. It's not a preventative thing. It's once you've been diagnosed with something like a cancer, a specific cancer, they yeah so so far yeah you're yeah in regards to cancer yes it's it's definitely you're reacting to something that's already taken place right so in that in that regard it's probably not considered a 100 percent vaccine because you know vaccine you're you're preventing someone from getting something right whereas right. in the in this case in cancer's case you know somebody already has a tumor of a particular subtype and that's what you're trying to tackle but got it the training of the immune system is is what the the underlying similarity is between, say, a viral infection or a cancer uh, diagnosis. There's really no relationship between virus and cancer in any way, shape, or form. It's kind of obvious, but uh, but somehow the technologies, that's where those two things, they sort of meld uh, the science, the knowledge, somehow sort of works in both ways, even though they're not really related. Yeah, there is some cases where viruses actually can cause cancer. So you can, the HPV virus can cause actually cervical cancer so there is one or two 
um, different cancers that actually can be caused by viruses. But for the most part, they're pretty independent from each other. And I think I think when you even bring it up HPV, like that's one of again one of the things that kind of people have to say not necessarily trust this first round of vaccines from historically in their minds you know and even you know like uh the question there's a question that all this ties into from mib just saying that you know the vaccine was made in record time to the world's best scientists focus basically on limited funding do you think this could be achieved for and most other viruses diseases you know specific cancers stds for some reason he wrote down there but uh, <laughs> i noticed that too it was, it was a very big concern to somebody i think <laughs> I, know who. Yeah, I know but but still i mean the, the i think that goes into kind of goes into the question of speed uh speed as well in that i think people not only was it speed to develop the vaccine but and my wife is in pharmaceuticals so she has her opinions about it too that's just kind of what she does but the speed in which the approvals were given so the speed in which you know it, it, it was done and and i think st- people associate that with cutting corners and do yeah. you think that there were corners that were cut here by these pharmaceutical companies that were allowed in this situation by the FDA's and the the World Drug Health Organizations and stuff. Do you think there were corner, any corners cut here that allowed this to get there faster that could possibly not be fully understood or vetted out? And I just want to piggyback on that, and I'll answer, let you answer. John makes a great point. So, was it bureau, bureaucratic corners that were cut? Or were there scientific corners that were cut? So for me, if I'm going to take the vaccine, those are the things that I want to know. If these guys, these politicians have cut out the bullshit, I don't. I could care less. But if there's scientific corners, I think that that's what people really want to know. So did science cut corners or was it, you know, the, the FDAs and the, and the you know, the, the, where the money is? Yeah. Um, Good questions. Well, first off, straight off the bat, I think calling the Operation Warp Speed was probably a mistake. Um because, you know, when you hear warp speed, you're like, it's full thrusters and it's like as fast as you can go. So I think when people associate coming out with a drug and those words warp speed, like in, in my opinion, there's just there might be a negative association there. with Oh, my God, this was out so fast. Um, clearly, there's been some corners cut. But there are a lot of reasons scientifically why it was able to be achieved so quickly. So I'll break them down. Uh, the first is just the technology. Um, because, like I said, it's it's a stripped-down version and the actual vaccine, what's in the vaccine, is relatively primitive. Um, that's number one reason why they were able to, to get it going quickly. And the reason they were able to get it off the ground so fast was because sequencing, so genetic sequencing, what I do, 20 years ago, the Human Genome Project, it took 10 years and billions of dollars to sequence just one human genome, just one. Wow. We can now we can do that in two days, three days, pretty much for maybe one or two thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like when we when we launch our big sequencer, it's called a NovaSeq. This thing is a beast. It churns out like terabytes of data, genetic data, every time we hit go, and hmm. we can sequence maybe two hundred genomes um, from people or samples at once, and that's that's done in two days. So the fact that um, researchers in China were able to isolate and sequence SARS-CoV-2 so fast, they were able to do it like within a week or two. Then Moderna and Pfizer were able to identify, okay, we know we know the sequence of this virus, all right, 
We know it uses the spike to get into our cells. Therefore, we're going to design a vaccine based on the spike. We have the sequence. Let's go with it. So that cut a shitload of time straight away. Like you're probably talking months straight away. They've cut months off the process. And from what I understand, the, the COVID, uh, the corona, the, the way the it wasn't an unfamiliar virus to begin with. This specific strain um, yeah. may have been, but the coronavirus is like a common thing, isn't the corona? The way that that thing is set up is not like a common cold, and that's correct. Re yeah. Related to that too. So there was some. It wasn't a completely unfamiliar sort of deal yeah you're totally right like even the the original SARS SARS-CoV-1 if you want to call it that from 2003 uh to like 2006 or whatever it was like that that's the coronavirus so a lot of a lot of the uh there was a lot known about coronaviruses already and the fact that the common cold that we have every winter time here um that's also coronavirus so a lot of a lot of uh information was already understood it's just okay. We got to understand the the very specific bits of information that make SARS-CoV-2 unique. So straight away, all of that work was done. The second part is one of the biggest hurdles going through clinical trials is actually recruiting people onto the clinical trials. Like if you're looking at a cancer drug, for example, you could be trying to get enough people on that trial for years. Like let's say you need a thousand people. And you want a thousand people getting the drug and you want a thousand people getting the placebo. A thousand people taking a placebo, easy. Trying to find a thousand people with the same <laughs> cancer that are willing to partake yeah. in a clinical trial, not so easy. Wow. This is not a problem in a uh, pandemic when a lot of people are getting sick very fast. And this is like a clear emergency that we need to fix right now. You have no shortage of people willing to step up to the plate and get involved. So, there again, that's shaving another probably couple of years, honestly, maybe two, three years off the process. It's just being able to recruit so many people. And in the case of Moderna and Pfizer, like they had 40,000 people basically in their trials, 20,000 getting the placebo and 20,000 getting the vaccine. That's pretty big numbers. Like that's, that's probably bigger numbers than what you would typically get in a clinical trial purely because they had the amount of people available to, to work into this thing. Hmm. This very is really all very very interesting. You are clearly the smartest man in the room. <laughs> it's funny because uh, uh, I believe that I, I just see that uh, my my own wife has entered into the studio to listen uh -oh. to to what's going on. And yeah, well, it's, you know, it's it's actually fantastic because, like I said, she I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure what she does because I'm not a the smartest of guys. You know what I mean? But uh, she's she she's in product launch. Uh, she she's in biologics uh, injectables uh, so she you know she ha has her uh, opinions about it too which kind of made me feel much better about things I mean I've seen kind of what the she's been involved in the testing she's been involved she worked for a company that did the testings and stuff so she's like there's no way there's no way that those the things that need to be done in order to get checked, the, the, the check marks that need to be done from a scientific point of view, as far as liability for a pharmaceutical company, are so much that 
they have to be adhered to. Now there is, you know, mm. there may be some some things that go around the testing phase of things, like you were saying, you know, as far as getting people a to to be involved in those tests and b, you know, the the efficacy rate. We can talk, I guess, of what happens in those tests and how many can be, you know, obviously some are, are tainted and all those things that happen, whatever. But there, so there, are, there, you know, there are things that happen. But in this case, there's no way because the the outcome here for these companies that are putting that are bringing out these these vaccines right now is huge the risk reward for these companies is fucking enormous like let's be honest you know what i mean the the pfizer and pfizer is the largest they're a huge fucking company and they found this couple that was working on this shit that was working on cancer research i believe right the the pfizer vaccine was actually a couple a company that was dedicated to cancer research, Gary, isn't that right? Yeah, the the couple who are working on it are um, Turkish Turkish immigrants working in Germany for BioNTech. And they were were working on messenger RNA-based therapy. And um, I guess they have some, they have some friends high up in Pfizer and Pfizer contacted them knowing that they were working on this type of stuff and they got in touch. And I think that's where the collaboration came from, from, just knowing that they're working on that stuff. But I would say, like, in my opinion, a lot more is riding on this for Moderna because they hang their hat on messenger RNA-based therapies. That's what they do. So if this bombed or this didn't work or there was a lot of, you know, there's a lot of bad results that came out of it, they're screwed. Nobody is going to, nobody is going to trust Nobody's going to invest going forward if all they do is messenger RNA-based pharmaceuticals and it bombs yeah. straight out of the gate. They're done. They're toast. So, like, they so much was riding on this for them that they had to get it right. And they have the numbers. They, they have the safety data. Like, just to put people's uh, mind at ease, like, no safety corners were cut. Like, they did the science the way it's supposed to go. And they were lucky they had the numbers to work with. And a lot of the, maybe your, your wife can allude to this as well, that a lot of the clinical trials stages, they were able to do them almost alongside each other. So instead of having to wait for phase one and to wrap that up, they already knew phase one was going well and everything was working out correctly and there were no significant side effects. So they were already able to ramp up stage two. So they had a lot of concurrent um, actual stages of the trial going on at once which again shaves down that time. So when you put all you put all these ingredients into a cocktail, that's where you're seeing the speed coming from. The speed yeah. isn't coming from shaving uh, safety corners and stuff like that. It's just a lot of these different variables into the mix, and that's where you significantly cut the time off. Really so, cool. so again, the next the next question there word is and and Raz already hit on it because it was on my list too is, is the word efficacy. So, um, and obviously you know. It's the effectiveness of, of, of the drug. And, you know, there are varying efficacies and there is even some, some issue here with, the, with, you know, the AstraZeneca one, I believe it is at the UK and, and has already bought. And there's some issues around, you know, what the actual efficacy is and do you move forward? Um, but it, it, is there, you know, I guess in, in, in the States, I don't know how, how it's being rolled out, but, but here, I mean, it's essentially the EU is buying what they can buy, Ireland is getting what it can get. And, you know, there's not really going to be a huge choice whether do you want the, you know, the Johnson Johnson one or do you want the Pfizer one or do you want the, you know. So if there's a chance that 
like the lower efficacy ones? What if there's one that's like, you know, I think the is the Johnson one sixty five percent or something, but it's a one time, yeah. one time injectable. You know, if you if that was the one available, obviously that's the one you're getting. C- can you double up? You know what I mean? Is there a double up option for you know if one of the others comes along, or would that would they completely not work with one another? Um, I definitely wouldn't. Um... You know, I'm not, I'm not a practicing physician, but I wouldn't. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I definitely wouldn't. I'm not, I can't be giving out medical advice here, but I definitely wouldn't be mixing. So, like uh, the Johnson and Johnson and AstraZeneca one actually do have mild uh, inactivated forms of virus. So, I definitely wouldn't be. I wouldn't be mixing those now. Right, right, right. A Pfizer Moderna combination might be a little easier because they are. Um, they are both messenger RNA based vaccines. So that could yeah. be interchangeable a little bit easier, but I do know the dosages are also different there. So right. I'm not really sure how the immune system, you know, you've gotten a particular dose you're supposed to get. Uh, so they both work with this prime boost technology. So the, the first dose is really waking your immune system up. It's letting you know that something's floating around. That's not supposed to be there and to start waking up and, and getting your soldiers to the front line. And then the second dose is really hammering at home. It's starting to develop those antibodies. So because they are different dosages, uh, I'm pretty sure any medical um, professional wouldn't be uh, suggesting that you, you mix and match. But, you know, the great thing is we have a lot of players here and they all have their pros and cons. You know, I'm very lucky in Cambridge and Boston area we have minus 80 freezers up the wazoo, like almost every corner of every block here, we have the capability to store these vaccines at very fucking cold temperatures. When you go to like a rural town in Tennessee or West Virginia or similarly in Ireland, if you're down in the, the middle of nowhere in Kerry, they're probably not going to have a minus 80 freezer. They may have a minus 20 freezer. They might have a fridge in the local clinic. So those are those are things that have to be taken into consideration as well is what is the capability of these clinics that are giving out the vaccines? Have have they the ability to store these at different temperatures? If not, okay, well, then maybe they're a candidate for an AstraZeneca where you can have it in the fridge or you can have it at room temperature for a few hours. So those are all things that need to be considered when you're delegating which goes where. So here's if you're a question. in a major city, you don't really have those problems. You have the capability to freeze them at whatever temperature you want. So, so it, it kind of helps to have different styles of delivery depending on where you're at. Um, yeah, here's, yeah. A, here's an interesting fact. I, in my research reading about this stuff, and I could be wrong, I, we talk about efficacy and we talk about 60%, 70%. It's my understanding that our flu vaccines that we're given here in the United States to prevent the common, you know, the flus that we get here, those two strains, I don't know what they are, yeah. but are way less. The efficacy is way less, 20 30 40%. So these vaccines that are out now are actually blowing that stuff out of the water. Could be wrong and you can correct me, but that's something that I read. Also, if you could just if you could elaborate on that, on um, what they're giving us now, I mean they so you know I mean people think, oh, you know, one is Moderna's in the nineties and this other one's in the sixties. The sixties is still is still way above what they're giving us for the common, you know, what we call it not the common cold, but what we have as the flu here, um, yeah. which is in the twenty, thirty, forties. And second part of the question is, um, in closing, as a scientist, as an expert, as you are, um, and without, I don't know if, if, if you can answer this question, but if you had a choice, 
which one of these names, Moderna, Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, and so, which one would you take? If you had a choice, what would your choice be? If, if you had all of them lined up, which one would you take? Okay, great questions. Uh, so the first one is about the, we've been spoiled with the, the first two to hit the market were 95%. So now when I see the AstraZeneca or the Johnson & Johnson, I'm like, ah, it's only 60, 70%. Give me the 95% shit, you know? So we were, <laughs> right, right. we were just like spoiled that like, you know, pretty much any virologist or scientist that's involved in creating therapies for people, when they saw 95%, like me, I was like, holy shit, that is unbelievable. Like, I think even Dr. Fauci himself was like, he would take 60 or 70% because like, right. you, like right. you accurately said there with the flu vaccine, um, I actually... I did a Facebook post there a couple of months ago. Um, we we get the flu vaccine jab here uh, every year at Dana Farber, and I always have a look at the the insert that comes into that you get when you get the shot. And I was looking this year that so we have there's there's A and B strains of right. the uh, flu virus influenza, and typically we encounter the A strains a lot more. So it's important that we're a little bit more protected against the A strains because more than likely we're going to encounter them more than the B strain. So in the shot that I got, it's um, it, it actually protects against four strains. But if you want to average them out, let's say, I think the A, the, the two A strains, you had a 70% chance of, you may have heard this word, uh, zero converting. So that's when you um, successfully mount antibodies. So you hear if someone's zero, uh, zero positive, they've successfully mounted antibodies against the particular virus that they're being vaccinated against. So when you look at the data, the, the trial data from all these uh, flu company inserts that they give you, it said that this year it was about 70, 65, 70% against the A strains, but then the B strains, it dropped down to, I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was about 45 to 50%. So, so as a scientist, it, you'll take the 65 or 70% efficacy. Yeah, I would. Yeah. I mean, in like we, we have a, you know, working at a cancer institute, we have, even though I'm not actually facing patients on a day-to-day -day basis, we also have a duty to try and limit any spread. You know, we have some of the most immunocompromised people on the planet that are going through cancer treatment. So we're all working with people that are around those patients every day. So we do have somewhat of a personal responsibility to try and limit the spread of, of any virus, whether it be the flu or in this case, COVID-19. But when, when these ones came out with 95% efficacy, we've been so used to the 50%, 60% from the flu. That's why that's why it was like, holy shit, this is the real deal right here. And honestly, I think it's probably just down to the, the messenger RNA. They, they've gotten such a potent response from the immune system with the technology they've used. I hope it's used for the influenza virus going forward. If if it can work for one RNA virus, these are, these are both RNA viruses, so... If it can work for SARS-CoV-2, there's no reason why it can't work for influenza. And, you know, if we can get 90, 95% efficacy for a vaccine for a flu, Jesus, who knows what that could do going forward. Cause well, it could save a, bad, a lot of lives, couldn't it? Correct, yeah. A bad flu season here in the US <laughs> can probably kill 50,000, 60,000 people. Yeah, yeah. You know, and a lot of these people are, they may only have one or two. You know, that's the thing about all these um, underlying conditions. Like, asthma is an underlying condition. You can, par you can live with asthma absolutely fine. You can have diabetes. You can be living with diabetes absolutely fine. But they're still considered 
you know, what they say comorbidities are underlying um, illnesses. And all of a sudden you get a, you get a virus and boom, it throws your immune system into disarray. If we can cut the flu deaths down with something like this going forward, uh, I'm pretty sure that would reduce a fairly significant burden on our health system, um, hmm. like COVID's doing this year. So very, uh, very encouraging going forward for viral therapeutics, that's for sure. You didn't give me part two. I want part two. Which, which one would you take? So now I have to put my financial disclosures aside. If you can't answer it, don't. But I just I thought it was an interesting... Which, um, you know. Honestly, it would be a toss-up between Pfizer and Moderna based off the, the just the efficacy data. That, okay. And so, I, so I, went through, I went through those data, those um, packages of data with a, a fucking fine-tooth comb. Like, I studied that shit. I was in on the FDA when they were giving them the emergency use. They were presenting all the data there. They're just so, they're just so damn close. They're about 95%, hmm. 94%, 95%. So we could just go with the numbers on that. I mean, as in in layman's terms, or someone who does know nothing about any of this stuff, I'm just looking yeah. at the re, I'm just looking at the results, and yeah. uh, you know, we, we, like John said, though, you know, we're going to get what we're going to get, but um, yeah. but uh, let, let's hope it, let's hope that stuff the the best is available to as many people as, as possible. That's correct, and it, it's definitely tricky with a two dose because uh, our next door neighbor is. Um, she's a chief medical officer in in a neighborhood in Boston. That's you know, pretty. It's been hit pretty hard. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of poor neighborhoods there. They've been you know a lot of people living on top of each other, and it's been spreading fairly bad. And she she has said that it's been tricky getting people back for the second dose. It's you know it's one thing getting people to take one dose, and then all they have to do is hear some maybe a bad story online or a bit of misinformation or what have you. And then all of a sudden they're not coming back for a second dose. So that's another thing as well. If these companies can, you know, in their, in their 2.0 version of a vaccine, get, get this all down to one dose, that could be a game changer. Um, if they can cut down the amount of times people are having to go in and, and, you know, go into a busy vaccination clinic. And if they only have to go in once as opposed to twice, that could be huge. Um, but this is version 1.0 and they, they've done a pretty good job so far so I'm pretty confident there's a lot of there's a lot of super smart people in those companies I'm sure they're already thinking about version 2.0 so hopefully they, they find the magic so that just pretty I get just uh, if you if you have to go Gary please let me know uh, oh, no, no. anytime uh, so the next All word good. I have for it and this is a real uh and this is a real difference, I think, be, between, you know, sort of what is going on in the States uh, uh, compared to what's going on here for various reasons. One, you know, economics being the biggest one, uh, uh, judging, weighing economics over health being the biggest one in lots of regard. But here in Ireland, we are, I, I've been here at this table since March of last year. I was in New York Went to went to a, a fair in New York in February. Met up with the Raz and a couple other lads. We went down to Myrtle Beach and we played golf for a few days. Beginning of March, I came home the following week. We're in lockdown here in Ireland, and I've been pretty much been in it since. And there was a few times when they let people get free, and then that seemed to cause all fucking uproar of cases. And obviously, yeah. the hospitals here there's less hospitals, so they need to be able to manage the patients in the hospitals as much as it's tough. In America, it's fucking hard here, obviously. Um, so, but lockdown, you know, five kilometers, we can't go more than five kilometers from our house, exercise groceries, every pub is, is 
closed. Hotels are done. Restaurants are takeaway only. And I know a lot of those those things, uh, you know, carry over. We talked about that with Roz last week. But, you know, is it the right thing for, for, for in Ireland? Are, are they do you kind of think that what's going on here is the right thing about how they're doing? Because some people are now so antsy because we've been mm. literally in our houses. It's not like you can leave. Like you don't leave, you don't get in your car. Like my, I, I fill up my gas, my car, maybe once a month and a half, every six weeks now. And that's crazy. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's fucking yeah, crazy. Yeah. People are kind of saying even some of the, I don't know, s- smartest ones, not so much that are leaning so far to, to, to one side, but are saying, you know, look, you know, if, if, if you're at risk and you don't want to go, go out then don't go out. You know, which is completely selfish and ridiculous, but but that's what people are saying. Like, do you think that lockdown? Do, do you do you know? Does it need to be stricter in your opinion until this get, rolls out? Like, what do you think about sort of how the lockdown went and what went on here in Ireland a little bit, as opposed to what you went through in the states there? Do you think Great they question. work at all? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was in a similar situation to you. Um, I was in Palm Springs for a science conference at the end of February. And we, we, we knew it was coming, like people weren't shaking hands anymore. There was like sanitizer everywhere. And anytime it was brought up, people were like, you know, we're kind of loosening the collar a little bit. Like we knew the shit storm was coming, uh, just maybe not as, as much as it ended up being of a shit storm. But I also played a lot of golf then. I was like, wow, this is great. You can travel around like all these things we took for granted before COVID-19 came along. We were just able to hop on a plane and go wherever and, and playing all these golf courses and I completely I empathize with people back home like I haven't seen my family in like all of my family are back home in Dublin and I haven't seen them since July 2019 like and you know I just became a new dad four months ago and my parents can't even yeah, see their, their granddaughter so like I it's it's hard like these lockdowns are hard and people are suffering from uh you know, lockdown fatigue and pandemic fatigue, it's almost gone on a year now. And you kind of think back, like, all these things you could do before. And I think in Ireland's case, like, I'm comparing, it's probably not a, a correct comparison, but Ireland is an island nation. And I'm, like, looking at other island nations right now. So you look at the likes of New Zealand, similar population to Ireland. Taiwan, I'm pretty sure they have more people than Ireland. Um, and some other island nations, what they seem to do was, and hindsight is wonderful, but what they seem to do was they just clamped down hard and they told their people, look, we're going to have to suffer together for a month or two. But if we can stop the community spread and make sure anyone coming into the country, you know, you're as draconian as it sounds, you're going to a hotel for a week or two just to ensure that you're not coming into the country and spreading it around. Like, look at Australia. They have the you have the Australian Open going on with thirty thousand people watching uh, Serena against Naomi Osaka, and there, nobody's wearing masks. Nobody's having to distance themselves because they kind of did like they went through a hard, hard few weeks together, knowing that when they pop out on the other side, there's going to be no community transmission. And if you see pictures and videos from Australia and New Zealand and all these places, Jesus, life is back to normal there. It seems. Whereas. I I, I we think have here's a slow the, bleed, I think, in Ireland and America, we have a bit more of a slow bleed. Now, that, I'm not saying we got us fully locked down in our houses. I'm just that's just a comparison. I'm like 
yeah. making between Ireland and these other similarly populated island I nations, guess, you know? I, I mean, I guess the thought, I don't, I don't neither here nor there about it, but the thought, the, the, the kind of devil's advocate to that, though, is that uh, you, you cannot, you can, you can compare them in that, the, like you said, they're island nations and how island nations of a similar size did this, but, you know, they're not part of, A, part of the EU, B, yeah. part of a, a this really weird land border with another country on this little island you know like like there are extenuating circumstances and i think that's why i mean everybody here is like shut down the airports shut down the airports shut down the airports but you know there's an issue with that i mean and we we joke about i joke about it with Raz all the time but there's an issue with that one and then you know ireland is a very important country for a lot of other countries (laughs) you know what i mean you know and vice versa and vice versa you know they have to be that's the way that's that's how they survive within as this weird little country in the eu as this weird little country you know best buddies with america you know irish president now and like all the stuff you know that's how it happens so it's a bit i mean I, i guess you know in fairness it was a bit tougher to be able to do that because you're absolutely not, yeah you know you're unfortunately you're you're not beholden just to what you want to do you're beholden yeah. to all these different forces that come in yeah simply saying you know by me simply saying oh they're about islands like that's that you're absolutely correct that's not the full picture the fact that they do have this weird ass border now with a you've got a non-eu country and an eu country <laughs> sharing the same bit of land definitely throws a bit of a spanner in the works but like yeah, talk in about the, case- the toasters now, Gary. Talk about the toasters. <laughs> yeah, the great toaster <laughs> charge, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess you heard, huh? Yeah, yeah I did, It all yeah. comes full circle. So it's not just ge- it's politics and it's not just geography. It's, uh, it's, it's obvious. I mean, you, it, Ireland is an island, but it be, being how related to Europe and other yeah. places, it makes it, you know, it's, it's, it's a, e- easy to see, easy to view. You know, it's easier to isolate maybe if you were New Zealand or one of these other places, then maybe Ireland isn't the best example of that. Yeah, I mean, New Zealand and Australia are pretty far away from everywhere else, so they do have that natural distance, um, whereas we're right in the doorstep of the UK and Europe. And in the in America's case, like, it's just so hard with, with the US because, you know, you've culturally and politically and there's all, there's just, such a vast difference um, between different areas in the country. You know, you, you have some where, you know, they've such, like New York, for example, like such a high density area. In those cases, like if something gets out there, it's going to spread very quickly. So you could be like, right, well, we have to do something there. But if you impose those same sanctions on somewhere that's a lot more rural, you know, it doesn't really make sense. So we do have such big differences in, in the US. But like I have pandemic fatigue like everybody else, you know, I, I like I, I miss what life was like before. But on, this, on the same time, you know, a lot of my colleagues and friends are, are working with COVID patients and they're seeing awful shit like every day, just really bad stuff. So I, I empathize with people who are suffering from lockdowns like anybody else. I also empathize with the people who are in the hospitals every day just trying to, you know, keep their head above water when it just seems to be an endless stream of patience. So it's it's such a very difficult balance to strike. It really is. And I don't envy I don't envy the people making these decisions because it seems they're damned if they do, damned if they don't. Yeah. I it's uh 
Yeah, uh, you're, you're right. I, I feel the same way. And I, and I have to, as someone in the opposite position to you, Gary, as the American who lives in Ireland, <laughs> uh, you know, my, my view is, you know, is basically like, these guys are doing literally like you look in their eyes and they're doing the best they fucking can. And they're trying to take mm. the, the smartest. I mean, if you think about the decisions that were made here in Ireland to close the pubs for a year, like yeah. essentially the pubs have been closed for a year and to somehow be still trying to pay people every week. Yeah. Like, and I, I get it. It's socialism. It's not capitalism. They're two different types of government, but that's the way it's set up. So if these government officials are trying to judge how much in debt we're going to be as a nation when we mm. get out of this thing, but saying we can't fucking do it because the spread is too much and the doctors are telling us this has to happen. So from my standpoint, I'm like, whatever these guys tell me to do. I'm going to do, I'm going to buy myself some fucking podcast equipment. I'm going to sit my ass <laughs> on the end of my dining room table and I'm going to forget about commodity codes and Brexit and two year olds crying all, all night long, you know, like, like we got, <laughs> so that's, that's where I'm at with it. Like you got to follow, I'm just following their lead, man. So it is, but it's very different. It would be a very different situation if I lived in America, very different. Yeah. I don't know which one I prefer. I, I'm, I'm just being honest. I'm not sure which methodology i prefer because in america you got to work man the government ain't paying yeah you know as, yeah. as much as as much as people you know are saying and for whatever the reasons are the government ain't paying people republican democrat they're giving you whatever they're giving you but here it's just different in that regard let's go mm. into debt we'll pay the bill we pay it off we, we have good friends in america and they're gonna help <laughs> us when we need them you know it's a so shame because uh, Ireland yeah. did such a good job, like paying back the loans from the out by Europe, and they were I fucked know. again. And I no, it's so. When I got here, the guy gave me uh, uh, one of one of the various cards, immigration cards. Oh no, he gave me my PPS number, and when he gave it to me, he gave me this piece of paper. And he said, "Good luck." No, it was my my immigration card. He said, "Good luck," and I said, "Good luck." What do you mean? He said, "Good luck finding a job." That's what the guy told me when he gave me my immigration card. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a true story because the country at that point was just getting loans from the IMF, just getting loans from Germany, from the EU, like just like we were the place here was in the shits at that stage. You know, we we're mm. building ourselves out, and you're right, they got out of it, and now they're probably going to head. To, yeah. to back into it but that leads me to so uh, the last question is just um you know kind of one of, out there so i don't know if you've heard of this uh woman in ireland named denise i think denise cahill dolores cahill dolores yes there you go so you, oh, i know exactly of, what you're talking you've, about you've heard of the, so dolores cahill is you know apparently when you look up her you know her her background and her education she's a yeah. she reads as a really smart fucking woman she yeah. you know, got her bachelor's at trinity got her phd at, at ucd or dc ucd wherever one of them and then she's professor at ucd so she covered all the major colleges in this country for christ's sake and yeah. She's like on paper, she seems like a really smart woman. And then I find uh, I saw some video or somebody sent me something that basically was this woman who's a uh, microbiologist. She's into all, she studies all of these things, apparently profess, prophesizes all these things about this stuff that's going on, about viruses and vaccines, basically coming out and saying it's a hoax and masks are a fucking hoax. And the covid is is like lunatic stuff, like absolute fucking lunatic stuff like the old like bill gates it's it's all about bill gates because bill gates wants to put a chip in your neck meanwhile you walk around with a fucking mobile phone on your fucking hip like bill gates doesn't know what the fuck you're doing more than he doesn't need a chip in your fucking neck he has a fucking phone connected to your hand somehow yeah. someone 
Apple, all these guys. But anyway, like, how does like how does that? How what what? What, how does that even happen? Like when you see these doctors, you know, in the States almost, when it, the, the, those doctors came out, the scientists came out and they were all for the hydroxychloroquine and, and they were, you know, they were standing firm out on the steps of the Capitol or wherever the fuck they were when they gave the thing. At that, as Americans, you're just like, ah, you know, Americans, you know what I mean? Doctors, <laughs> even doctors, Americans, you know, like they're going to follow the, the, this guy and they're going to, the hydroxychloroquine, then people are going to follow them. But that's the other thing second part of that question almost on top of like knowing about these smart people that are saying these stupid fucking things but the amount of people that actually believe that yeah. is is to me a bit staggering and obviously you see it with politics going on in america and stuff and and, and all over the world but i don't care about any of that shit but just the amount of you know, the amount of 50, almost 50, 50 ish, you know what I mean? Of people. And in mm. there, you must see more than we see here in, in America that, that follow these people. Like, how, as a scientist, it's got to drive you fucking nuts. Well, speaking of those American doctors, I'm pretty sure one of them, uh, Dr. Simone Gold, was arrested during the, the whole Capitol Hill incident there a few weeks ago. <laughs> she was one of the, the American frontline doctors. Um, but she actually. The, the funny thing is she actually doesn't like she's not on the front line treating patients at all like i don't even think she practices has practiced medicine in a year or two so um just the fact that they're calling themselves frontline like as if they're treating covid patients like, i had to think that was pretty funny but i've i've known at the um uh professor <clears throat> sorry <laughs> I don't know if she's. I don't know if she's going by doctor or professor these days. But she's going by. She's going by. Actually, she's going by the leader of the Irish Freedom Party. I believe okay. what, she's the chairman <laughs> of the Irish Freedom Political Party. Like some of the shit she has said in the last few months, I'm just like as a scientist, I'm just flabbergasted. Like one of the things she said was that these two particular vaccines will alter our DNA. And there's me looking through every molecular biology book I can fucking find. And I'm like, how is this? Like, if, if we could alter people's DNA, we would be doing it already to cure diseases left, right and center. If it was that easy, like I'm, I'm looking at all these molecular biology books, trying to figure out where the fuck is she getting this from? Because it simply can't happen just the way RNA and DNA work. I'm like, there's bollocksology number one is that it'll <laughs> alter our DNA somehow. And just like some of the claims she's come out with, like, has the same debt right as influenza and like it's just like it's just not true and i think in a lot of cases um these people are putting their uh political beliefs and personal feelings ahead of the actual scientific and medical facts and i think that's a big problem and i was listening to you mentioned bill gates there earlier on i was listening to an interesting podcast um he he did a podcast with rashida jones and they had this He's like a, a conspiracy theorist expert from Israel. And he, he I've always been trying to put it into words um, exactly how I felt about this. But this guy just captured it perfectly. He said that when people can't understand a complex uh, situation or a complex problem, they'll look for an easy answer. So in this case, you know, people might, you know, we have all these variants popping up, for example. Viruses mutate. That's just how they, that's how they roll. Viruses have always mutated and they always will. But in some people's minds, it's like, oh, no, that's just another scare tactic. They're just released. You know, they're talking about another variant. It's absolutely the same. It's just another tactic to get people to lock down and stuff like that. 
that's a classic example of how he would say is that people that may not understand complex problems will look for an easy or simple answer because it makes them feel a bit warm and fuzzy inside, you know? So Dolores, in her case, is, is playing to these kind of feelings in a lot of ways. She's saying, no, it's, you know, it's, it's no big deal. Um, same date as the same debt rate as influenza and all these things. And she's kind of playing to people's emotions. Like, um, you know, they don't want to, they don't want to dive into the actual complexities of this virus. And they'll just rather believe that the government is trying to pull the wool over your eyes. And it's just a global hoax. When, Millions of people would have to be in on this for it to be hoax. Like, it's fucking crazy that people think this way. But look, social media fuels this shit. Unfortunately, people will find, you know, like-minded individuals and, you know, social media is good, but it's also very bad. So um, it's definitely not helped the situation because it just... It gives it gives some of these individuals a platform to just like, really say... I guess that's a, it's kind of a testament, isn't it? Because it, it's sort of a testament because like we've we just spent literally the last hour uh, of our time talking about how sort of technology ha- has advanced to a point that we can have a global pandemic and within, you know... A, a, a superbly short period of time, uh, you know, in perspective of things, come out with a vaccine with a 95% efficacy. But at the same time, that same technology grew for everyone to become more global in very free ways and cheap ways, which is the internet. And the internet has begotten social media and social media has become the now become the go-to source for these people. Cause like you said, they don't understand something. It's, it's a testament to education that they don't even understand what's going on in a newspaper now that they have to get it from Facebook, mm-hmm. you know, like, like, so, so it's actually an irony there, isn't it? Because the more people, the, 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 as amazing as what has happened with the vaccine, you have to convince even more people that it's true because of the same sort of technologies that have advanced in in yeah. that same period of time. You know, like back then, 20 years ago, if this would have happened, we'd have been lining up to take the fucking shot. You yeah. know what I mean? It didn't. We wouldn't even. We wouldn't be talking about Pfizer, Moderna. What's in it? And it does twenty years ago, we'd have been lining up. Give me. There's a fucking pandemic. Give me the fucking shot. Is it going to help me? Yes. And that's the way it is because we didn't. We didn't know any of this shit. You know. And now yeah. all of a sudden, we know efficacies and we know. You know the, the, the these different words that we're we're using for this because we we have to. You know because it's. But at the same time, people dumb people and manipulative people can manipulate people into thinking you know all of this shit and all this amazing stuff that went you have to convince me that it's this amazing and i don't believe you because these people are telling me that it's a hoax you know it's crazy it's insanity it's it's sad it's just sad when you see people that have such like be honest amazing she's had an amazing career uh uh, dolores cattle has a molecular biology like she knows her stuff so that's what's that's what's just sad for me as a molecular biologist here saying these things. It's like, what, what's your end game here? You know, like, I, I just don't understand why she's, you know, maybe she wants to put herself forth as a, a political candidate or something further down the line. I have no fucking idea, but it's just sad when you have people who are so well versed in this stuff to be saying some of these things, but I don't know. Maybe uh, pa- pandemic fatigue makes people do <laughs> and say crazy shit. <laughs> No, uh, you're right. You're right. Look, man, I, I, I said it was going to be 10 or 15 minutes and that turned into over an hour. And uh, I like cannot tell you how appreciative I am that you took the hour out of your day, you know, especially considering, you know, 
what, what that time would have been spent doing. I mean, I, did I was I responsible for somebody not getting the right treatment because I'm talking to you bullshit about Dolores Cahill. <laughs> <laughs> but I appreciate uh, no, Gary, no, I totally um, appreciate no you worries. coming on, man. Thank you. Yeah, no yeah, problem. Really, so cool. For, really cool. For, really, really cool stuff. Thanks. For joining hopefully, us. Was, yeah. Hopefully I was able to answer your questions. I did I did see uh I saw a question here in the chat from um I think I think it's so driscoll so, and he said yeah yeah so yeah i i, I was going to get to it totally get to it so i'm glad you saw it i mean because i don't know if you know but you know uh i i think you know connor um yeah yeah and and, and connor recently within the you know not so recently now but within the last couple of years he moved to ohio he got married uh to an american girl and he lives in columbus ohio right now so oh, no so his question yeah yeah so his question about how you keep your strong irish accent asking for a friend you know you know he's trying I, 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 we're worried he's going to lose it to the midwest that's almost <laughs> midwest there ohio you know uh, i don't know if connor knew but when i first moved to the states i was living in ohio as well i was living in uh marietta ohio which is down there on the where is it? it's down in the southeast almost in west virginia so um yeah i know how he feels living in the midwest um unfortunately he hasn't been able to i don't know how many years has he been living there i think two uh, okay still in so details, but i think two years so he's probably got the experience ohio state playing in the shoe i would imagine if he's been there two years Hopefully he's gotten the, that ex, that game day experience. Um, in regards to keeping the accent, I don't know. Maybe maybe doing the podcast helps, or you know, uh, talking to people who I know are in Ireland, even though one is in uh, in New York. Maybe it's just talking to people that are based in Ireland. Maybe it just comes on stronger. I don't know. Well, um, look, I just we, don't lose it. It gets me away from water here, you know. Oh, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. There's a, a good story, and this involves both Ireland and restaurants in the Hamptons. Is that when when my wife first uh, moved over, uh, when Marie first moved over, uh, was she was waiting tables at restaurants? You know, she used to come home sometimes. She used to, it, it was almost frustrating because she would say. Uh, I went to this table and, and you know, I went over, oh, you're Irish, are you? And she would say, and yeah, yeah, I'm Irish. Oh, do you know the, do you know the O'Malley family? You know what I mean? Like, oh, we're Irish. Do you know the O'Malley family? She would come home frustrated. But then I was like, Marie, you're right to be frustrated, but I have to tell you, you're only probably two degrees away from Dolores yeah. O'Malley, who is like your, your aunt's best friend. You know what I mean? You're only a few degrees away from that, you know? So, yeah. so she, it gets, you get you away with a lot. The Irish accent gets you away with a lot over there, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. We're, we're extremely inbred. That's for sure. Um, like living in, living in Charlestown, Massachusetts, like they actually have an Irish flag flying beside the stars and stripes in uh in charlestown which kind of says a lot about the irish heritage but yeah as soon as someone here like as soon as somebody hears my my accent here like i get the whole i get the the whole family tree pretty much you know like they came from cork or galway or something like that but i don't i don't mind like i'm to me it's you know it's good talking point and have have the crack with people who have irish ancestry it's all good to me but yeah it definitely uh it definitely has me ending up in more conversations than than the typical Bostonian, just because of the accent, Ari. Yeah, <laughs> that's fantastic. Drico said that uh, somebody sent him tickets to go see the horseshoe. They got delayed, and he got them after the game. So oh, that's that is the worst possible thing Jesus. to happen. That's our buddy Drico. Well, hopefully, hopefully next year you can get to go see a game because going to a game in the horseshoe have only been once, but. There was 106,000 people at it, and it was just absolutely bananas. It was amazing. Well, I, I'll never forget this, it. 
Listen, when when uh, when all this shit is over, and we're gonna, uh, Roz, just to let you know, I think we should, we're an hour and twelve minutes into it, so we're gonna end this here. We'll push everything that we had for to till next week, pal. But uh, uh, I just have to like have to say that when this shit is over, especially we've already heard you talk about playing golf in Palm Springs. So yeah, I heard the you, same you thing. Have I said I up on you, have, you have my co-host. You have my Extremely excited about that. And so right, when this right. thing is over, we'll get over there. I, I'll get over there for whatever trade show I'm coming to or whatever I'm doing, it doesn't matter. And we'll, we'll get ourselves out there and, and go play golf. Gary, you're welcome to, I don't, I don't oh, know if you want to be ready for this, but uh, you, you ever see the, you know about the show Eastbound and Down? I've heard of it. I've never actually seen it though. So in season three of Eastbound and of the show Eastbound and Down, they, he, he has to go play for a team, uh, a minor league baseball team in Myrtle Beach. So, and that's where we go to play golf. So we'll get yeah. together. You come down with us and, uh, and we'll, we'll catch up for sure. But I totally appreciate having you on, man. And, and uh, thank you no so problem. much for doing it. And you're welcome on anytime. If you just want to come out, we want to talk football. You come up with a topic. You want to bring it on. Let, let's do it, man. It was a ton of fun. And, and you're welcome on anytime, pal. Thanks very much, guys, for having me on. Really had a blast, and I appreciate it. It was nice to meet you. It's very fascinating. I'll catch up yeah. with you boys next week. Be well. Sounds good. That's Hit the Lotto Podcast, episode number three. I hope you guys enjoyed it like I did, and uh, and remember to you know tell as many people as you can, man. Let's let's all do this together. It's a lot of fun, and, and I have a lot of fun, and let's uh, let's get as many people listening to this as we can because you know the more people bullshitting, the happier we'll be. I guess at the end of the day. Thanks a million, folks. We'll talk soon. Romo out.